Good morning, church. Can we just stand to our feet for a moment and honor the people who have laid down their life for our freedoms today to sit in church, to celebrate a risen Savior, um, to hear corny jokes over the next 30 minutes, uh, to look at a baby from Tennessee. I, this, this is all brought to you by the grace of God and by the courage of men and women who have fought for the freedom of the United States of America. Can we just honor them this morning? Okay, I have to ask the question again while you're standing. Who here likes change? What, you, you like change. I don't see many hands at all in the room. Are all the lights on? I feel like some of the lights are off. Uh, who does not like change? Oh, a lot of you. A lot of you don't like change. Okay, well, go back to who does like change. Who likes change? Okay, good. Um, so Luca, my grandson from Tennessee, can identify with both groups of people. Uh, he does not like change. If you do something that he doesn't want, he'll let you know. Um, but at the same time, see, he's ready for change now. Yeah, there it is. He also loves change. Uh, it, I was just laughing because Michaela and Lawrence flew down from Tennessee on Friday evening, right? Friday evening, and we had spent five days with Luca in Tennessee, and Carrie and I drove back to Texas. We picked up a wonderful eight-week-old puppy while watching Luca, and that was fun. And they flew back, and, and Luca can sometimes be grumpy. He's very happy. He's a happy boy. But then in an instant, you know he's grumpy. Just on a dime, it changes. He gets that from the Castaneda side. <laughs> Pedro, I'm joking. Don't own that. I'm joking. <laughs> but on the trip here, this fella, he normally goes to bed at 7 p.m., and Michaela kept sending us videos of the flight, and he was just smiling and looking at the airport and happy, like the hours of travel at the airport waiting and on the plane and then driving home. He was just such a happy baby. And I told Michaela Lawrence, he's a world traveler, and he's tired of being stuck at home. You need to get him out more. But uh, Luca loves change, and I just wanted you guys to see him. He's, I know, he's adorable. He gets all of his looks from me and Pedro. Because his grandmothers still have their looks, he took ours. But anyway, he is only eight weeks old, so we'll, we'll let you guys blow kisses from afar and all of that. You know how that works, but can someone grab him? We're really praying Luca gets saved today. All right, one more time. How many of you do not like change? That is a huge number of people, and I find it so ironic that you have rooted yourself and planted yourself in a church that was birthed on, founded on, established on the concept of change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know it by now. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
all of you change haters, let me just tell you, you love a change-loving church. We believe in transformation at the Exchange Church. We believe in a God who can bring change. And I just find it ironic that we, so many of us don't like change. But what I do want to talk to you about today is three levels of change. I believe there are three levels of change. I've been kind of pumping the prime, telling priming the pump, telling you that I was going to talk about uh, procrastination, that I was an expert at it. Ironically, I was late to worship because I just finished and printed my sermon on procrastination at 1025 so, or 1045. So I am coming to the table today fully experienced on the topic of procrastination, and I'm going to give you all that I've got. The title of my sermon today is Navigating the Three Levels of Change. Oh, Father, we come before you today. I thank you. I thank you for just the sense of community in the room, family in the room, sense of corporate worship, coming together to worship a holy God, a risen God, a powerful God. God, I ask that over the next 25 minutes that your word would speak to us, your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would just be encouraged, that we would just come to grips with the fact that we're not perfect, we were never meant to be perfect, we don't, we don't need to be perfect. God, help us to embrace the humanity of ourselves while also chasing towards the divinity that can be found in you. In Jesus' name, I pray that the church say, amen, amen. Before you sit down, I want you to high-five somebody, hug somebody, give somebody a kiss on the cheek. just want to build some confidence today and also just let some truth come into the room. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a pro. Now, neighbor, say to them, crastinator. That's right. That's right. When our kids were little, we had five family core values. We lived by them. We taught them. We just I don't know where we came up with this concept. Probably read it in a book. There's nothing new under the sun. Somebody thought of this before we did. But we came up with five family core values. All of our decisions were made around those core values. Uh, one of those core values, and I've said this before, was growth. We wanted our kids to know that we are constantly in pursuit of growth. And, and that has ebbed and flowed throughout the the decades and the years of our family, but it's still something very valuable to Carrie and I and to our kids. I love seeing all five of my kids constantly pursuing growth, no matter what season of life that they're in. The big idea of my sermon today centers around change and growth, and it is this. If you learn nothing else, at least learn this today. Change is hindered when we refuse to grow. Change requires engagement. Change is hindered when we refuse to grow. I bet some of you don't really hate change. You hate growing. It's not the change that you hate. It's the pain of growth. 
Because growing requires engagement. It requires you to be all in. It requires you to be focused. It requires you to be committed. Growing is painful. It hurts. But if we're going to change, we've got to grow. Now, I want to give you a self-help moment, all right? I started out with 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I want to pause, hit the pause button on the sermon, and let's take a commercial break and watch Oprah for a minute, okay? Oprah is self-help. I love Oprah. She's wonderful. It's not scripture. It's not the Bible. I don't build my life around it. But sometimes self-help thoughts can help illuminate something in our life. So I want to give you a self-help thought, and that is, There are three key traits, in my opinion, that personal growth requires. There are a lot of of key traits that lend themselves to growing, to personal growth. I read a lot of leadership books, a lot of personal development, personal growth books, and I have grown a lot throughout the years. And the three things that I've narrowed down, at least in my life, as the key traits to personal growth are this. Number one, self-awareness. If you're not self-aware, you won't grow. Personal growth begins with understanding ourselves, our strengths, our weaknesses, how we respond to different situations. Without self-awareness, and I've been picking a lot on people that are not self-aware. I realize that I picked on people that are not self-aware in our emotion series. Matters of the heart, when we're talking about matters of the heart and the emotions of the heart, I picked on people that weren't uh, self-aware. I'm picking on us again today because I just want to challenge us because self-awareness is so important. Um, Without self-awareness, it's hard to know what areas of our life are serving us well and what areas of our life are hindering us well. Without self-awareness, we just go through life on autopilot. We let life encounter us rather than us evaluating circumstances and emotions and all the things that we're going through and how is it impacting us. Self-awareness is is kind of like Bigfoot, in my opinion. Bigfoot, a lot of people say they've encountered Bigfoot, but they have no evidence of it. A lot of people claim to be self-aware, but they have no evidence of it. Self-awareness is, is one of these overused concepts. Concepts It kind of drives me crazy because we all think we're self-aware. We, we overuse self-aware. There's another term that we use way too much, narcissism. Everyone that disagrees with us is a narcissist. But then when you really know a narcissist, all the other people, you're like, oh, nope, you weren't one. Sorry about that. You, nope, you weren't one. Nope, you want one. This person really is a narcissist. We overuse the word narcissist. We also over-apply the word self-aware. We need to probably take inventory if we're self-aware because some of us are confusing being self-absorbed for being self-aware. Just because you fully know the desires of your heart doesn't mean you're self-aware. That could be birthed from being self-absorbed. You can know what you want and what you hate and where you want to go and how you want to refrain and how you want to connect and know all of these little intricate details of your heart and your mind and your soul. That doesn't actually make you self-aware. That could be that we're self-absorbed. Self-aware means I understand how I move and I walk through a room. I, I understand how my actions and my thoughts and my behavior and my belief systems impact you. 
how I show up for you and the world and people uh, that I'm in community with. That's more self-awareness. Just because you always know what you want doesn't mean you're actually self-aware. But we're going to focus on that. Self-awareness is a key trait to growth. The second one, again, this is my opinion. You may write your own three key traits for personal growth. The second one is motivation. If I'm going to experience personal growth, I have to have motivation. Look at your neighbor and say, let's get to it. Yeah, that's why when I start working out, I've, a couple of times I go on this you know, gym trip where I'm going to get fit, and I generally have to get a trainer for three months, four months, because I need the motivation initially. I need to be accountable to someone. I need someone to yell at me, to get in my face. And then when I don't like what they're doing, I stop paying. <laughs> Personal growth requires a strong desire to improve ourselves and the willingness to put in the effort to change. Motivation can come from many sources, including a desire for personal fulfillment and a sense of purpose. But to experience change, I have to find motivation to change. I can't borrow your motivation for me to change. I can be so motivated for my kids to make something of themselves. But my motivation for them won't make something of them. They have to find the motivation inside themselves. So if I want personal growth, I need to become self-aware and I have to find a way to get motivated. The third thing I think that is really important for me or any of us in the room that tend to make mistakes, tend to fail, tend to not, you know, tend to miss the mark from time to time, tend to take one step forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back, that's resilience. If I beat myself up every time I make a little bit of progress and then I take a little bit, uh, take a few steps back, if I beat myself up, personal growth is going down the toilet for me. The only way I can continue to maintain growth in my life is to be resilient. Resilience involves being able to bounce back from the setbacks, stay focused on the goals, and persevere through the challenges that arise during my journey toward personal growth. All right. Commercial break is over. That's self-help. Can we get back to Scripture today? I think Scripture supports these, these concepts, but I really want to show you the three levels of change. There are three levels of change. The first level is weight. Weight. This is what I would call the level of procrastination. This would be... This would be the field where I often set up camp. This would be the couch where I sit down and watch Netflix while I wait for my miracle to knock on my door. The level of change is wait. Well, newsflash, nothing changes if nothing changes. So I could just wait and continue to do the same old thing that I've always done and procrastinate and hope that the Requirement goes away, hope that I don't have to face the challenges. But it's going to take me a very long time to get the change on the level one weight. It's like driving your car across the state in neutral. It doesn't work. Hopefully, hopefully there are some moments where you're going downhill and you can coast for a bit, but you're always going to have the uphill 
climb, you can't stay in neutral if you want to get any distance in your life. My question to us today, if we could just be honest, what do we procrastinate about? What is it? What do we do? Is it a chore that you've been meaning to do around the house? Is it homework? Project at work? Calling that family member that can be awkward, difficult? What about having that hard conversation with a family member that can be awkward or difficult? What is it that we put off on the back burner? Everyone procrastinates sometimes. So I don't care how motivated you are, how driven you are, how self-aware you are, how resilient you are. You're going to, you're going to procrastinate sometimes. How many of you would say that you procrastinated at least once in 2023 already? Some of you are waiting to hold up your hand. Procrastination, the word is derived from the Latin word that means to put off until tomorrow. And then the Greek word of that says doing something against our better judgment. So procrastinating is putting something off tomorrow, even though we know deep down inside it's not good for us. That the dishes are still going to be there. That leak in the front yard ain't going to repair itself, Trey. I currently have a leak in my front yard right now. Putting it off until tomorrow is only going to make things worse for me. I'm at a level one weight when I procrastinate. Now, I just have to tell you that procrastination is not a gift. It's not a gift. It's not a badge of honor. I I have procrastinated in preparing some of my presentations or I found out last minute that I had to speak somewhere and I threw something together. I could throw a decent sermon together in 90 minutes. I can throw a good sermon together in a day. An excellent sermon takes 35 to 45 hours of preparation and planning and writing and researching. But in an hour and a half, I could get up and deliver something that someone might think I spent 20 to 25 hours on. In fact, my wife has bragged on me before. She knew the week that I had, that maybe I was sick all week, and the obligations that I had, the meetings that I had, and my sermon window just continued to shrink throughout the week. Sermon prep continued to shrink, and she knew that I was only able to invest a certain number of hours, maybe three, four hours, two hours, whatever it was. And after church, she would look at me and say, wow, you are so gifted. I don't know how you do that. I couldn't do that. It takes me four weeks to prepare a sermon. And I think to myself, I'm gifted. Procrastination is not a gift. Can we just admit that this morning? We're having like a, an, an awareness moment. We're just being honest with ourselves. It's not a gift. But here's what it's also not. It's not a lack of self-control. And it's not laziness. So I want to set some of us free this morning because we've been beating ourselves up regarding procrastination, thinking that we're lazy and we have no self-control. Um, I want to read to you a quote from a writer in New York. She says, procrastination isn't a unique character flaw or a mysterious curse on your ability to manage time, but a way of coping with challenging emotions and negative moods induced by certain tasks. Boredom, anxiety, insecurity, frustration, resentment, self-doubt, and beyond. Often the most 
emotionally unstable people. Mm, I don't like that word. Let me back up because I'm describing myself. Often the most emotionally surprising people procrastinate the most because procrastination is birthed from the mood swings that we encounter, the inner thought world that we create, that we partner with. She goes on to say, the particular nature of our aversion depends on the given task or situation. It may be due to something inherently unpleasant about the task itself, having to clean a dirty bathroom or organizing a long, boring spreadsheet for your boss, but it might also result from deeper feelings related to the task, such as self-doubt, low self-esteem, anxiety, and insecurity. So all of my fellow procrastinators out here, the next time you catch yourself procrastinating, I want you to ask yourself a deeper question. I know the question we've been asking. We've been asking, when do I actually have to start this? What's the latest I can start this and still get it done? That's the question we're asking ourselves. The deeper question should be this. What's going on in my heart that is causing me to not want to tackle the thing that I've been assigned to? Procrastination always points back to a deeper heart issue. One of the contributing factors to the downfall of King Saul, by the way, I I did an Enneagram series a couple years ago, went through Enneagrams one through nine. I'm an Enneagram four, which is kind of the free thinker, the creative person, feels all the emotions. Any other fours in the room, Pedro, Dana, we stick together, but not too close because we need to be unique. That's an Enneagram four. And I was using Bible characters to describe all the Enneagrams. And I remember... When I got up to kind of run through my sermon before service, and I talked about Enneagram 4, and my point popped up. Dana was in front of the house, and it said, the Enneagram 4 in Scripture is King Saul. And she goes, oh. She was like expecting David, hoping for something a little bit better than King Saul. But one of the contributing factors to the downfall of King Saul was procrastination. Saul was anointed to be king. First Samuel chapter 9 makes that clear. Let's walk through a few verses today and see how procrastination comes into play. Chapter 9 verse 2 says, Kish had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So we see that King Saul was impressive to look at. Then we jump to verses 15 through 16. It says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Notice that. God is anointing Saul and giving him charge to save his people from the hand of the Philistines. Then 10 verse 1. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And then we get to this big crescendo. Now Saul did a lot of wrong things. It wasn't just procrastination. 
right? So if you procrastinate, please don't feel like you're suddenly a King Saul. There were a lot of poor decisions and things that he did along the way. But we do see in this big crescendo where David, the next king, comes onto the scene. It's a scene of David and Goliath. We see in chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountains on the other side, and a valley was between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. Now, in the story of David and Goliath, we learn that Saul, basically, in a nutshell, Saul, for 40 days, refused to go down in the valley and face the thing that God had charged him with. He procrastinated. God had already told him he was going to give him the victory. He was going to lead the people over uh, across and, and win through the Philistines. He had already made that guarantee, given him that charge. But for 40 days, Saul procrastinated. He, he refused to go in the valley and fight. He was passive. He was slow to move, slow to be motivated, hoping the problem would go away, hoping someone else would show up and take care of it. I, I, love, I love the fact that there was not a man around that was more good looking than Saul. He sure looked like a king, but he sure didn't act like one. Kings don't procrastinate. Kings move. Kings take action. Kings see the need, they meet the need. Kings see the problem, and they meet the problems. Kings see opportunity, they take the opportunity. Are you with me, church? When you understand who you are and who's behind you and what you carry, you don't run away from the valley what God had already told you he was going to give to you. You just accept it. You don't wait 40 days. You don't procrastinate like Saul did. But this is level one. Wait. And many of us actually think that level wait is moving us closer to change. But you will never encounter the change and the transformation in your life as long as you stay on level one. Then when we get to level two, Maybe at some point we realize that level one is not working for us. We jump to level two, and that's pray and wait. Pray and wait. And by the way, when I say the word pray, I'm not actually just talking about, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake, whatever it is. I'm not saying... Uh, God bless this food, help it to nourish our body, let the calories not count. I know, I know you pray that before lunch, I've heard you. But when I say pray and wait, I, I'm not saying that kind of prayer. That, that prayer is okay, it's all right. I'm sure God hears it, God may laugh and get a chuckle from it. I doubt you're spiritually developing from that kind of a prayer. I doubt you're really growing deeper in your heritage as a believer. I doubt you're walking in more authority as a follower of Jesus through that prayer. But if that's all you do, we'll take it. But that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking. I just don't want us to walk out of here confused, thinking that you're actually getting out of level one weight by doing those kinds of prayers. Is that okay? Can I say that this morning? This level, pray and wait, 
is like active prayer. Time to get serious prayer. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever had a moment in life where you were praying with everything inside of you. You weren't just going through the list of, God, don't let the calories count. Let the broccoli not be mushy. Uh, bless the hands that prepared it. Only their hands, not their head or their feet. Bless the hands. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where your wife is rushed out for an emergency C-section and you fall to your knees crying out to God for deliverance. Or you get the call that someone you love was in a car accident and you bombard heaven with such passionate prayer that you don't care that you're screaming at the top of your lungs. Or you, you find yourself confused in a relationship and finding yourself just really lost and not hearing God. And so you, you find yourself in your apartment screaming so loud that neighbors two blocks over are hearing you scream. I'm talking about those kinds of prayers. Those kinds of prayers when you get the diagnosis that someone you deeply love and care about has cancer. And God, I know you're a God that can heal, but will you? God, I need, I need you to step on the scene in this moment. And suddenly there's something in your prayer life that shifts. Our level of need shifts the dynamics of our prayer. You see, when my pantry is full and I've got, I've got cookie two-step ice cream in the freezer, I thank God for the food. But when I've got $11.32 in my account and negative $4 in savings and I've got four boxes of mac and cheese in the pantry, and no ice cream, my prayers shift. I wonder how many of us actually showed up today to do business with God. Interact and engage with him in a way that we walk away transformed. That we walk away changed. We're talking about change. You see, we all live in a house, I think we do, we all live in a house with electricity. Maybe yours is out for a few days. But most of us live in a house with electricity. There's wires running through the ceiling or the ground and through the walls, and it comes out to, I don't know, where's the plug? Here's a, well, here's a plug right here. Electricity runs all through this building and comes out right here. It's, it's wires, actually. Electricity doesn't run through it. Wires run through it. This plug has the potential for power. There's electricity running through the wires beyond this plug. It is equipped to deliver power. But there's something I have to do to connect to the power that's available to me. I know it's good, y'all. I, I, I know it's good because you, you walk to your kitchen and you flip on the light and you just automatically assume that the light's coming on. I mean, did anyone walk to the kitchen this morning and as you're walking in the dark kitchen say, man, I sure hope that when I flip the switch, the light comes on. Not a one of us. Because we understand the power of connecting to the source. 
So if we want to see change, one of the phases of change, navigating change, we have to get to a place where we understand that all power is accessible to us, but we're responsible for connecting to it. I personally believe, and I've seen over and over and over in my life, that the point of connection between my need and God's power is prayer. Prayer. You want to know how to get what you need in your hands and in your home from heaven? It's called prayer. Not a now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Not a bless the hands that made it and prepared it. And those prayers are fine. But I'm saying the point of contact to step into the power of the Holy Spirit is through deep, authentic, vulnerable, raw, sometimes messy, sometimes cryy, sometimes loud and obnoxious prayer. Prayer is the point of contact. Prayer is the switch, the point of contact between your need and God's provision is prayer. And I'm shocked. I'm shocked that we look at prayer as optional. If I've got the time, I'll pray. As long as I am in the car, alone, heading to work, I'll pray. Until the hot water runs out, I'll pray. So we pray as we're doing life rather than centering our life around prayer. And that's where the power comes from, through prayer. For many people, prayer is like the national anthem before a football game. It has nothing to do with what goes on on the field, but it's just an obligation that we have to you know, have the anthem before the football game. And some of us look at prayer that way. Prayer is just an obligation. Well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I, I guess I should pray. Well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I guess by my front door I should put up a little prayer wall and put a little chair there so when friends come over, they can think I actually sit there and spend time there praying and laboring with the Lord. You, you set the environment, but you actually never show up. Because prayer is just kind of, you know, an accessory to the Christian life. If we want to be transformed, we have to get serious about prayer. You know, I, I've had DirecTV. Anyone have DirecTV? Is that still around? Does DirecTV still exist? Someone says no, someone says yes. I bet it does. If someone's, someone has it, it probably exists. I bought a house that had like four satellites on it, all for different, they never changed out the satellites, they just kept adding new ones for every new service that they got. You know, back in the day, when I was, in 1989, I was in middle school, or somewhere in there, eighth grade, lived out in the country, Rice is Crossing, my best friend Jason, Jason Clutter, if you're watching right now, I love you. Jason Clutter and I were enemies. He talked about my mom. I beat him up. Then we became best friends. <laughs> Life of a middle school student. But he lived down the road from me, Jason Clutter did. And I thought the Clutters were filthy rich because they had a satellite the size of this auditorium. Their entire front yard was this big satellite. 
I just always have associated satellites with being rich. And so when I bought my home in 2010, there were four satellites. I was like, I've made it now. <laughs> DirecTV 1, DirecTV 2, whatever that third thing is. And the fourth thing, I'm all about it. But the satellite dish and the receiver that you connect to the TV, they actually don't create the programs. They just connect to it. The magic happens beyond the dish and beyond the receiver, but I can never tap into the, the magic of Hollywood, the magic of creativity, the magic of Power Rangers, unless I have the connectivity to tap into it. I just wonder how much of God's creative power are we leaving on the table because we're not tapping into it. We think our marriage is broken. Our marriage isn't broken. Our prayer life is. We think our health is broken. Our health isn't broken. Our prayer life is. We think our mind is broken. Our mind isn't broken. Our prayer life is. Anything that we have need of, we have access to through the connection of prayer. Level two is pray and wait. First Kings chapter 17. I oh, I'm out of time. That's okay. You can wait. And if you don't like it, you can also pray. I'm just kidding. I'm almost done. I want to tell you quickly about the story of Elijah. Chapter 17 of 1 Kings, verse 1. Elijah said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these three years except by my word. And then skip a chapter forward. 1 Kings 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So this is three years after the rain had stopped. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah, who is a prophet, goes to Ahab and says, We're closing up the skies because of the idolatry that's going on. Three and a half years later, he comes back and he says, we're going to open up the skies because you've made things right. You've put God first. You're doing things the way you need to be doing it. So we're going to let the rain fall again. Now, if you jump over to James chapter 5, 16 through 18, James gives us some insight to what's really going on here, how the connectivity happens. That's James 5, 16 through 18. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, so James, is now referencing what we just read in chapter 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James is saying, Elijah was a prophet. Yeah, he's a big, bad prophet. But he was just a normal guy, just like you, Shane. Normal guy, just like Oscar sitting back there. Normal, normal guy, just like Paul. Elijah was a normal person, just like Nolan. That's what... James is saying he's a normal person and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss. Throw out everything you know about prayer. Let's focus on this one concept. In chapter 17 and 18 of 1 Kings, we see that God is declaring something. 
God declares that he's going to close up the skies. God declares that he's going to open the sky. Then we learn in James chapter 5 that the prophet Elijah prays that God will close up the sky. Elijah prays that God will open the sky. God declared it. Elijah prayed it. God declared it. Elijah prayed it. Part of the connection to the power that God wants to release in your home, in your relationships, and in your life is getting close enough to God that you can hear what he's saying about you. And when you hear what he's saying about you, then you declare it in prayer. As you declare what God has already declared in prayer, that's where miracles happen. That's where breakthrough happens. So, so many of us, we think we're praying and we're begging God for a miracle. We're begging God for an answer. We're begging God for change. It's not actually praying unless we know God's will on the matter and we echo what he's already saying on the situation. So what is God's will for you? I'm glad you asked. God's will for you is to prosper and be in good health. Not, not drive a $200,000 car. I didn't say that. But to prosper. For your relationships to flourish. For you to have a sound mind. For you to not walk in fear. You can go through scripture and find all the promises of God for you. You can go through scripture and see everything that God thinks about you. Rather than begging God for something that we want or something that we need, how about we find ourselves in a place of prayer and waiting where we're just echoing to God what he's already declared over us. That's active prayer. That's the kind of prayer I'm talking, that's a level two of change today. Prayer and waiting. You see, procrastination is just waiting with no purpose. But there is a waiting that's okay. It's very active. It's not passive. It's very active. You're very engaged with what God is wanting to do in your life. And the closer we get to God, the more we know what he's saying about our situation. I was driving home from Tennessee with my wife and a dog whose name I can't remember. And we turn on the radio and I get in the car from getting gas and country music is on. Now, I don't like country music. That's all right. I, I listen to country music sometimes, often. Okay, I like country music. But I get in, and this particular song was like really old, not cool country music. And so I look at my wife, and I said, did you put this on? And she was like, no, it just, I thought you did. It's on. And I go to change the channel, and she said, but it's okay. I like it for a change. And I'm like, okay. So we're driving to really old country music. And about 45 an hour minutes later, an, an hour late, an hour minutes later, about 45 to an hour minutes later, I'm talking like a country singer right now. We're just driving along. And the, the station got fuzzy. You know how you're listening to a song, you even know the song at this point, and you're kind of humming it along, and it comes in and out, and you can't hear it because you're so distant from the signal that you can't receive what's being laid down. So I had to change the channel to get a station that's closer. Anyone that's done road trips, you know this. This isn't anything brilliant, but it's the same thing with God. Some of us are trying to hear God's will for our life or 
hear hope from heaven, hear what he's thinking on a matter, on a situation that we're going through, but we have distanced ourselves so much from God by failing to pray that we don't know now even know how to pray because we can't hear the will of God in our life. So we pray and we wait. We pray and we wait. I, I love the fact that Elijah, when he talked about the rain was going to come, the Bible says that he heard the storm before there was even a cloud in the sky. Because when you get closer to Jesus, you can hear what's on the way before you ever see it. You start knowing instinctively how to pray. You start just knowing it's all going to be all right. God's made a way. He made a way then. He's going to make a way now. Pray and wait. And level three, Jordan, this is the one I hate the most. I don't mind praying and waiting, but the one that's really hard is pray and obey. If you want the ultimate change in your life, rapid transformation in your life, find yourself in prayer and then find yourself in obedience. Maybe that's why some of us don't pray. We're too afraid of what God is going to ask of us. We're too afraid of what he's going to require of us. We're too afraid of what he's going to ask us to lay down. Change begins to brew on level two as we pray fervently in the time of waiting. The transformation takes off when we commit to pray and obey. So how many of us this morning already know that thing that God has been asking us to do? God has been asking us to surrender, to lay it down, to walk away, to say I'm sorry, to admit my faults. You close your eyes and bow your head. Father, we repent. We repent for allowing procrastination to determine our miracles. God, we understand that delayed obedience is disobedience. God, we, un we understand that there's not going to be a superhero that sh shows up and takes care of all the problems. You've called us to partner with you to resolve the wrongs in our world. So God, give us the courage to move out of level one, the waiting, the procrastination, the, the just relaxing, chilling, walking in apathy, not caring, not making a move, not being engaged, not being self-aware, not having motivation. God, we repent. God, we repent for expecting miracles from heaven to be birthed in our life while we refuse to be overshadowed by Holy Spirit, to be impregnated with purpose and passion, to labor in prayer for the breakthrough. God, we 
We repent for partnering with Christianity that doesn't cost us, that doesn't press us, that doesn't cause us to go to the next level, that doesn't cause us to commit to some things, to say yes to some things, to be inconvenienced for the house of the Lord, to be committed to building your kingdom, to love the unlovable. God, we repent. God, let us find ourselves this week in a place of prayer in our waiting. And God, should you choose to open our ears and let us hear the next right step, God, I ask that you would give us the courage to obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet as you celebrate the Lord this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, go ahead, go ahead. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to be slow. But don't procrastinate. All right, church, we believe that you're headed to the next level. We love all of it. All you driven people that just don't even go to bed at night because you're so driven. And all you procrastinators, we love you so much. Take what you received in here and go give it to someone out there. Now that you've been to the church, go be the church. God bless you.